0: Praise the Lord. Thank you for making us all emotional right here at this time. I think I'll just stick it in my pocket. It's been an emotional weekend for me. Uh, By the way, today is my oldest granddaughter's birthday, Tate. Happy birthday, Tate. just adds to the emotional weekend for me. Yesterday, I uh, married off my second grandson, and uh, someone asked me prior to the service, are you nervous? And I said, no, I'm not nervous, but I'm nostalgic. And Nostalgia leads to emotions, I believe, in talking about your mom. And you get nostalgic, you get emotional. And sure enough, I stepped in uh, without being nervous. I said, nerves are actually a good thing. You know, they give you the energy to push through. A lot of people let nerves stop them from doing things, and actually, nerves energize you. Uh, That's a little tidbit uh, for you. Uh, but anyway, when I got into the service, sure enough, the nostalgia led to the emotions, which made it uh, one of the more difficult weddings that I performed in all my years of performing weddings. And uh, but I'm thankful, I really am. I uh, somebody uh, said you're gonna marry all of your grandchildren. I said, I'd like to be around for my great-grandchild's wedding, but we shall see. I don't know if I can do uh, too many more. It gets more emotional every time. I know you've been praying for uh, Pastor John and Melissa and God being with them. And uh, I'm thankful uh, in uh, just a few weeks now I'll celebrate 50 years of marriage, and uh, I wish that for them. And I pray for her health and for their health and their family all. They need our prayers. They have a big old mark on them by the enemy. He hates the man of God. He hates the pastor. He hates the church. You have a mark on you as well. As I was thinking about what I would share, and I have not had much time to think, I was thinking next week I'm working on a message entitled Jochebed or Jezebel, what shall we name the child? Uh, But I don't have it. It's not really ready uh, for prime time uh, (laughs) or any time yet. But I I am blessed. I I actually, when I left the pastorate, there's some things that you think about. One of them is, uh, I won't be preaching Easter anymore, uh, which is a burden and a blessing. You love it. It's wonderful. I mean, it's our national day. But to be fresh as a preacher uh, for Easter is difficult. So I won't be doing that. Uh, I won't be preaching Mother's Days and Father's Days because, well, pastors do that. They want to preach on Mother's Day and Father's Day, generally speaking. I preached on Easter, I'm preaching next week, and I, Lord willing, will be back here preaching on Father's Day uh, this year. So you just, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I don't understand the sovereignty of God. I hesitate to try to explain or talk about the sovereignty of God, but I believe it. When you talk about what we believe, sovereignty of God, that means he's in charge. He sometimes lets us in on it and sometimes he doesn't, but he's in charge. And so I am here by the sovereign plan of God this morning, and we're praying for our pastor, I I quickly prayed, Lord, what do you want me to say? Because there's something that needs to be communicated. And I mentioned, you know, Jochebed and Jezebel, Mother's Day. No, that's not it. Uh, When I was in Myanmar, are you stalling? No, I'm just sharing and trying to get there. When I was in Myanmar, I went to preach at the church on stilts. Some of y'all remember me sharing the picture of that church. And uh, we got up in there, and they were singing, and the place was rocking. And I mean, literally, it wasn't like a rock and roll church. It was just the building was rocking. And it was up on stilts and poles, and, and a bunch of people over here, and a bunch of people over here, and they stand, and they clap when they sing, and. They enjoy it, and uh, uh, I'm sitting there thinking, my message is not right. This is not what I need to preach on. And so uh, I preached on, you're the salt of the world. So I thought this morning, well, you know, just share something about salt and light. We are the light of the world, salt of the world, but uh, that's not where I'm going either. Uh, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2 to set up the rest of this. When I, after the uh, ceremony yesterday, I had a conversation with the man who took my place down at Calvary when I left there. Good man, godly man, had some life experiences that are very difficult. uh, And. uh, uh, we were talking about things coming up and so on, and he said, by the way, he said, I'm going to do a family um, series, teach and preach on the family. And he said, would you come and preach that sermon that you preached the day of the wedding? I didn't know I preached a sermon in the wedding. He said, preach that outline. He said, and, and so I'm going to share that with you with a little more detail than I was able to on yesterday. But in Genesis chapter 2, let me read some scripture because what I have to say is not near as important as the Word of God. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, now this you've got to remember where you're at. Adam's been created, the animals have been created, uh, and uh, they've been named and so on. And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. Uh, I didn't say that. I know that there are some people who need to be alone. (laughs) But the Lord said in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 2 and verse 18, that it is not good for man to be alone. Now, you can broaden that and say we need each other. True, right? All of us, that's, I mean, that's a, sort of the foundation of the church. Some people have left the church, and they say, I don't need to go to church. I can watch them on TV. They don't, but they say, I can watch them on TV. <laughs> but you all know that the church is not just about hearing a preacher preach. If that's all you come for, you're missing it. Matter of fact, I mean, that's a small part. It's the connection, the fellowship. And the We need each other. And he implied that in uh, the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 25, when he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as a matter of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It wasn't about, oh, we got to go hear more preaching. No, it was about, we need to be together so much the more as we see it. Don't you see the day approaching? Oh, my goodness, with all that's going on in our society We see the day approaching. God said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he gave Adam his first gift. Notice it says, I will make him an help meet for him. I will make him a help meet for him. Somebody to help him. Someone who's compatible with him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them uh, and uh, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, uh, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. Now Verse 18 is the first gift. Here's the first surgery. If you've ever been put to sleep for surgery, this is the first time it ever happened. And uh, the Lord God performed the first surgery. He caused Adam to fall asleep. I don't know what anesthesia he gave him, but he went to sleep. He slept and he took one of the ribs and closed up his flesh instead thereof. This again, the first surgery. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. These might be considered the first vows. Adam made this statement. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now we move over a little further in this story to chapter 5. And I want to read verses 1 through 5. This is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness God, uh, in the likeness of God, made him. He didn't say we were made to look like him. He made us in His likeness, or in His uh, uh, emotional and spiritual makeup, with a consciousness of who He was, and so on. Not time to talk about that. Male and female, he created thee them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. a 100 years later now, after Cain and Abel, that saga, 130 years later, he begat Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. 930 years. And y'all, we think, I think 50 years of marriage is... Uh, uh, well, it's just been a brief time. <laughs> Just been a short little trip. For her, it's been a long time, but for me, it's just a short little... See how I wiggled out of that one, didn't you? We think 50 years is a big deal. Or somebody here over 60 years of marriage. Yeah, I thought so. Anybody over 70 years of marriage? Okay. Well, some of y'all going to make it. I know it's going to happen. Adam and Eve... We don't know how long they were married. I don't think the Bible tells us when uh, uh, Eve died. Nor do we know exactly how many children that they had or grandchildren they had or great-grandchildren they had or great-great-grandchildren they had, and I can go on until noon. Uh, They had no doubt a lot of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And I was thinking about the institution of marriage for the wedding yesterday, the establishment of it. And I said this, the perfection of marriage. You know that God instituted when he, I mean, he created man. And then he said, it's not done, and there's got to be somebody for Adam and Eve. And he put Adam to sleep, and he put them together, and Adam wakes up with a beautiful bride before him and a perfect relationship, the perfection of marriage. If there was ever anybody that was perfect, had the perfect marriage, it was Adam and Eve because they were perfect. They had the perfect marriage for a brief time. We don't know how long that was. Some people say, well, it was just a day because they figured their wife wouldn't last more than a day. I think that's why some men believe, some preachers believe that, that she wouldn't last more than a day before she sinned. We don't know how long it was. Maybe some scholar will dig deeper than I can read and find out that it was a longer period of time, but we do not know. But think about it. If there ever was two people created for each other, it was Adam and Eve. By the way, look at, over at your spouse and say, you were made for me. <laughs> yeah, you were. You were made for the one who is your spouse. That'll make you treat them a little bit different. You were made for each other. But they had the perfect marriage. By the way, marriage is God's perfect institution. You say you ain't been around my house, nor mine. See, in Sunday school, I kept thinking today, man, I need uh, more wisdom. I do. He was talking about wisdom. Perfect. Perfect. Perfect marriage. So they started well. And on that day yesterday, we had uh, Sammy and his uh, fiancee, Lacey, standing there before us. And, and uh, they think marriage is going to be perfect. It only starts perfect. And even there, it's not You know, you have problems with this and they had problems with that and problems with the other and problems on the day and they'll probably have their first argument and all of that, you know. It doesn't stay perfect long. Which brings me to the peril of marriage. The peril. Because I didn't read in beginning in chapter 3, but you know the passage. You have the first temptation. It's interesting to me that this happened after Adam and Eve had been married by God, brought together, that God then, now, is going to attack, or excuse me, Satan's going to attack God's creation through a marriage, Adam and Eve. Peril. How many of you all can say, "Amen"? There are perils in marriage. There are perils—peril of temptation. You know, uh, it's just the fact of life. We get tempted in so many ways in the world in which we live. There's lust, and I'm not just talking about lust between a man and a woman, but there's lust for the things of the world, which is what got Eve uh, in that situation. Wanting what we know we're not supposed to have. We're told by God we're not to have. And therefore, that temptation is there. It's still there, folks. These folks here have been married longer than I understand that temptation. It's there. It is a a, a war, a battle that we have to fight. The perils of marriage. Can I just say to you, be careful constantly of the enemy and his temptation. And I don't have to tell you because you're made out of the same dirt I am. It is constant. And boy, I need the Lord. We need the Lord, as he sang earlier. Not only was there the temptation there, though, there was the conflict. The first thing Adam did is said, Lord, that woman, I don't know why the Lord didn't say, hey, you married her. <laughs> he couldn't goody, because <laughs> he had put them together and he, he won't. With you either because he put you together. But here's another one of those temptations to blame your spouse. I did it all my life, I still do it. It ain't good. I'm being honest. Is there anything I decided to try to do in preaching is to be honest with you? I'm fancy, but I'll try to be honest. We have had conflict. I have blamed her, and she blamed the devil. I mean, (laughs) she never blamed me. I don't know. I don't have great memory, but I don't ever remember her blaming me. But we can all blame the devil. That's the easy way, isn't it? And so here you have the perils of marriage. Sammy and Lacey hadn't experienced this yet, at least not much. But it is part of it. Try not to dwell there too much with people or somebody may decide to leave at the wedding, you know. I think I'll pass. That's why it's a God-given thing. Not to be entered into lightly, is it? The perils of marriage. And then there's the problems of marriage. They had children, Eve, Eve talked about the birth of her first child in chapter 4, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, Eve said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. God has given me a child. Every lady in here. I had my granddaughter tell me that just, or my daughter in, granddaughter-in-law say yesterday, she said it's the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced, to have a child. You ladies have experienced that. What a blessing, what a joy. And then to have another one, and now you got two. And what do you have when you have two? You have trouble. I actually heard somebody say recently that they only had one child because they had trouble in their sibling relationship, so they weren't going to have but one child. They wouldn't have that trouble. Tell me about naivete. You're going to have trouble, right? I mean, there are problems. So Cain and Abel, you know the story. Don't have to develop it. You've got it in your mind. Cain and Abel, the conflict that was there, the difficulty that was there, and then Cain killing Abel. Can you imagine the trauma? Here you got two children. You'll love them both. They hate each other's guts. They won't get along. They're totally different. All children are. We want them all to be the same, but they're all different. And here they are. And Cain, in a fit of anger, kills Abel. He's dead. And Adam and Eve have to bury a child. Now, I'm not saying there's not worse things than bearing a child. I have been blessed and not had to do that. Some of you have not been so blessed. But I can't imagine personally anything any worse than to go through that, except to go through it alone. And in that time of problem, Adam had Eve and Eve had Adam. And don't you imagine they cried a lot in each other's arms. They wept a lot together. Problems of marriage. But then I'm going to finish and you're going to be out of here by noon and you'll say, Rick Ramsey didn't preach today. Uh There's the promise of marriage. I read over in chapter 5, that Adam lived 130 years before Seth was born, and then he lived 800 years after Seth was born. You know, when you've got children, they multiply. And I have nine wonderful grandchildren, and I have one wonderful great-grandchild. Somebody said, all my grandchildren are great, even though they're not great-grandchildren. And they are. They're the joy of my life outside of my wife. Our sons get overlooked now. I shouldn't do that. I re- they, they're the joy, and they were our blessing, and they're the ones that gave us the grandchildren. If they didn't do anything else right, they gave us the grandkids. Thank God for that. The promise. The promise of marriage. The promise is the future. You say, well, why No, People say, Shh, we just couldn't work, we just couldn't stay together. We just couldn't work it out. That's because you're looking right now. You're saying, I can't live with this now. I wish I could video project the future when people come to that place and they say, well, we can't live together any longer. And everything that God intended for them stops. The grandchildren don't come. Or if they come, there's all kinds of problems. And the future is not there. And Susie and I had our conflicts and issues and temptations and problems throughout our married life. But I'm thrilled that we stayed together through every one of them. The future. One final thought here. When I was thinking nostalgically yesterday prior to the wedding, I actually was thinking about my great-grandpa, Simon Ramsey. Some knew him. He died, I think, in 1967. That's a long time ago. And he had a bunch of kids, and a lot of us are a part of those bunch of kids that were handed down through generations. And I thought he's in heaven. He died in church on a Wednesday night between two men in the church. They both argue about whose arms he fell into. They really want that honor. He. He was called on to pray. He stood up and prayed. He finished his prayer. He sat down and he went home. I guess he was done. He went to heaven. But he's in heaven today. And I don't know what God lets them know. I don't know. But I just wonder if God don't say, look, look. I can't do the greats as to how many there are, but there's several greats in there until yesterday where one of the grandchildren is marrying one of their great-great-grandchildren. The promise of marriage. When you want to kill your wife, don't. (laughs) When you ladies want to put something in his pitto beans, don't. I know it's tempting, and they probably deserve it. But if we got all of what we deserve, we wouldn't be together to begin with. Look beyond today. One day we're going to be in heaven. I don't know how long this world's going to stand. I don't know if we're in the exact last days or not. I have my views on that. I'm like, Paul, I think I'll be here. I think many of you will be here, but I don't know. Excuse me. maybe there's 4,000 more years and I'll be in heaven and maybe one day I can look down and say, look, look there's Tate's great grandchild getting married the way God would have it to be honoring the Lord that's the promise of marriage God's given you a wife here's the sermon today you say, I wondered where it was when it was going to get there. Love her. She ain't very lovable. Love her anyway, because love is an action that we are called upon by God to pour out on others. It's not an emotion, it's an action. Love her. Regardless of whether she's level. You say, you didn't see her when she crawled out of the bed this morning. You don't expect. Yeah, I do. The first thing you should have done was look in the mirror when you crawled out of bed. Love them. Love them totally. Love them with every fiber of your being. Our time here is short. We're leaving this old world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We only have this moment, this day. Love one another. And that can apply not only to your marriage, it can apply to your children and to your grandchildren and to your siblings. Love them. And to the church. Love one another. Because the promise is awaiting those who will choose to love now. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for these few moments that I've had to share. And I pray for our pastor and his wife and where they're at and what they're going through and that what you're doing in their life. We're all in a journey. And all of these things have purposes. And so I pray for them. And I pray though in this moment for your grace and your comfort. As he is there to love his wife, as Christ loved the church, you abandon everything else for their need. I'm thankful that he did that. Help us to practice that kind of love with our spouses. Lord, you know we don't deserve any kind of love. But as I think of this one final thing, Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so. Oh, how you loved us.